Our first reading this evening is from 1 Peter, the second chapter. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We rise. Holy Gospel from St. John, the 14th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you will know him. From now on, you will. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, "Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us." Jesus said to him, "I have been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, 'Show us the Father'?" Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it for you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. I'd like to reread these verses from the Gospel lesson from John 14. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? 
He who has seen me has seen the Father. This beautiful text from John chapter 14 assures us of the miracle of this Christian faith in which we believe, resting on the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus. We know that the world is full of good, but also full of evil, all mixed together. And in this world, we struggle. Jesus came to save. He gave us his life, a life without sin, a perfect sacrifice that destroyed the works of the devil. His resurrection, above all, proves that faith, hope, and love, these things indeed overcome doubt and despair and hatred. But the devil does not give up. He comes to whisper in our ears, perhaps in our minds and hearts, how do you know that he really did rise from the dead? God anticipated this demonic card trick that he knew would be played on his people. And so tonight it is my great effort here to help you see through this little trick and to again and always affirm the truth that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, and in his life, in his teaching, in his death, and in his resurrection, we indeed, all of us, find our life in him. So I'm titled the sermon, How God Hides and How He Reveals. But before I get to that, let me set it up a little bit by, by just talking about something that's really important in the Bible, and that's both the blessings but also the problems of holiness. As I said in the introduction, the world is a mixture of good and bad, and we don't like that at all. We certainly don't like sin and its ultimate effects, death and separation from God. Even people who don't believe in the Bible or in Christ recognize this. And so you'll hear them saying things like, why can't we all just get along? Why can't there be peace on earth? Why is it that we go from civilization to civilization and still end up with nothing more than what Jesus predicted, wars and rumors of wars, until we come to the end of this world? Well, the reason for this is a refusal or perhaps not seeing the root cause of all of this in the reality of sin. Now, everybody recognizes the big sins of this world. Take a sin, for example, like murder. We think, well, now, we could just get rid of that, then we would have peace on earth. But that's not the case at all, because that sin really is the end of a process that began with a lot of other, what the world would think of as littler sins. It began either in that person's heart, or maybe his father or mother or grandparents, it began with, I don't really care about God, and I really don't care about listening to his words. In 2006, there was a terrible murder that occurred in the state of Idaho when a young high school girl was deliberately murdered by two of her classmates. These two boys videotaped their plan for this terrible crime. 
Most people probably have not actually watched that full videotape, but if you can get a hold of it, I would highly recommend it. Because it betrays something that I have known for years all along. These boys in the videotape admit that what they were doing was basically based on what they had been taught. They were animals doing what animals do. They had no fear of God, no thought of consequences for the behaviors that they were about to engage in. And all of that began many years before, maybe even before their lives, as I said, in this slow process of drifting away from God and not caring about His Word. James speaks about this in the first chapter of his, of his letter. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it is full grown, so sin's like a spectrum, and it leads to an outcome, it brings forth, as James says, death. Now, the opposite of this is holiness. Holiness is the absence of sin. Not just the big sins, but all sins. And this is exactly what Jesus came to bring into this world, was that absence of sins. Jesus came to bring forgiveness. Think of all of the people that Jesus forgave. Jesus touched the untouchable. Jesus cleansed those who needed cleansing. Mary Magdalene, who's featured prominently in the Easter Gospels, was delivered of the madness and insanity of demons. Lazarus, who stank four days in the tomb, Jesus raised him from the dead. The repentant thief dying with Jesus in all the blood and gore of the cross was promised paradise from Jesus. All of that happened because Jesus was bringing His holiness into this world. But it is a holiness that can only be received by the Spirit of God and the Word of God working repentance in our hearts. If we don't want to repent, especially if we don't want to repent of what we might think are the littlest sins, we will never find that holiness We need also to find the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. This gospel lesson from John 14 emphasizes that when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes unto the Father except through me. And that's not just a statement about I'm the only one who can save you. If you really look at all other religions, this is the only one who actually promises salvation. All the others promise some sort of reward that you work for and that you earn. But the Bible stresses over and over again, that is impossible. We need what Jesus says, the way, the truth, and the life in Him. So this is the problem of holiness. We, we want a world without sin, but the only way we're going to get it is holiness. And so now that brings me to what I put forth as the title to the sermon. God overcomes this in a beautiful way by doing two things. He hides himself and he reveals himself. Let's think about the ways God hides himself. It begins already with Adam and Eve after they sinned. And before they sinned, they were in this garden of Eden 
and they were with the Lord, and there was uh, no problem uh, of their being present together with one another. But as soon as they sinned, one of the consequences of their sin, not only pain and hard work and difficulty and ultimately death, one of the other consequences was this separation from the direct presence of the Lord, cast out of that Garden of Eden, guarded with angels wielding fiery swords. We read that on and on about this same thing in the Bible. The people of Israel were led by God out of Egypt into the wilderness to be with God, but the people weren't allowed to go up to Mount Sinai, only Moses. And even Moses is told, you cannot see my face and live. Manoah, the father of Samson, says, we surely shall die because we have seen God. No sinner, not even believing sinners, can see God in this earth in all of his glory. Some have seen a glimpse of glory, and that was painful enough for them. For example, the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. We don't see the fullness of God's glory in all of his holiness. Not until we pass through that grave. As Job said, after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. So when people complain, why doesn't God just show himself? Why can't I see him in all his power, in all his glory? Then I believe. The problem with that is that that's judgment day. And you better believe before that. Because God brings you to faith in a different way not bringing you to faith by revealing himself and all his power and glory, which would destroy us immediately, but rather he reveals himself. So he hides on the one hand, but he reveals on the other. Quite a few years ago, I took a bunch of kids in my youth group in Nebraska on a canoe trip on the Elkhorn River. It was three days of sun and sand and mud and the muddy water of the Elkhorn River. After three days, my wife and several other parents were there in their cars to pick us up and to bring us home. And we were glad to see them and glad to be back in civilization. But I was kind of surprised by this. They were not really glad to see us. In fact, we had a little trouble driving home because we stank so much. I remember the windows had to be rolled down, air conditioner going full blast. This was terrible. Until we were cleansed, until we had showered and and washed off this grime and sweat and muck of that river, we couldn't be with our families in the way we would like to have been. This is exactly what's going on with Philip. When Philip says to Jesus, just show us the Father and that'll be enough. Again, as I said, God can't do that. He wouldn't do that to us. He wants to save us, and he's not going to show us himself in that way just yet. But then Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And so now we begin to see the way God reveals himself. He reveals himself in Jesus. Jesus was with Philip and the rest of the disciples and all of this in the mud and the stench and the muck and all of the troubles of this world. And he really was God revealing himself. 
revealing himself to us in his life, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection. At least some people might say, well, pastor, I mean, Philip did get to see Jesus in the flesh, and I haven't been able to do that yet. But I'd like you to pay close attention to the New Testament, and and I can show you that nobody in the New Testament believed in Jesus because they saw him physically. I mean, Philip's seeing him physically right in front of his face, and Jesus says, you don't get it yet. You're still not in the faith yet. And then Jesus says something very important to Philip. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and he in me? Listen closely. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Flesh and blood is good. God created our flesh and blood. And he put his son in the incarnation in this flesh and blood of this world. But it's only good when it is cleansed through the Spirit and the Word, working repentance in our hearts and faith and trust and hope and love in Christ. That is the way God is revealing Himself to us in that manner. And in the Bible, all the disciples come to faith that way. A few Sundays ago, we had the gospel lesson of the Emmaus disciples. That's a classic example of what I'm talking about. The Emmaus disciples are walking on this road and they're sad and they're frustrated because Jesus had died. The stranger comes up and he's walking with them. It's Jesus. But Luke tells us he specifically does not allow himself to be seen. He is hiding himself physically from them. But as they're walking, Jesus explains to them everything about the Messiah in the Bible. And later on, these disciples said, when he was doing that, were not our hearts burning? That is to say, they came to faith through that little Bible study. Just like you and I come to faith through the hearing of God's Word in our lives. Yes, later on, they did see Jesus physically risen from the dead, but what the point Jesus is always making is that you don't need that to believe in me. John began his gospel saying, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, but he ends his gospel saying that these things have been written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Word and Spirit came to Cooper just a few moments ago in baptism. The Word and Spirit are coming to each of you and to me right now as we are hearing them and and meditating upon what Jesus is saying. These things have been written for our faith. These are the revelations of God that bring us salvation. And just as Philip could only come to the Father through Jesus in flesh and blood, and Jesus in his time of humiliation and cross-bearing, so also God leaves us here on this world, in this world for a while, slogging away through all of the trials and troubles and mud and difficulty and stench of the world. But he does so that like Christ, we also are bearing the word and the spirit and the gospel testimony of Christ. He is risen He is risen indeed. He is our salvation. God hides, but he reveals this. Amen. Please rise.